Yeah, well, I don't see why Jimmy Buffett wouldn't be a majority stakeholder in the company. Tommy Bahama, Kyle. Darby Cast, Economics Wednesday. Here we are. Missed Monday because Kyle was raging. Watching NFL Red Zone. And just didn't get it going. Kyle, extreme ownership. Own up to it. Come on. But today, I want to talk to you about my thoughts about the economics of the entire state of California being on fire, which I'm pretty sure is not a good thing for any economy. Let me put this into an example for you. Let's say you are a franchisee of a McDonald's and you're trying to make things happen. Or you own a bicycle repair shop and you're also trying to make things happen. If your shop's on fire, does that make business easier or harder? If your shop's on fire, do people want to live next to your shop? The answer to those questions for some people is not entirely clear, but for most of us, it is. So yeah, that's what's going down. And of course, we can't let a good crisis go to waste. Can't avoid making it highly political and saying, see, this is what Al Gore's been talking about for a long time. It's climate change. It's global warming. And you know what? I say the jury's still out on that for these fires. Because you could make a much easier argument and say, well, most of California is a desert and the state is broke and mismanaged and doesn't really clear out dry brush or do controlled burns or any kind of forest management, forestry. We just don't do that. We've also dammed up a lot of our natural water sources so there aren't flood zones that keep the ground nice and wet, it doesn't happen. So I'll put it to you like this. Say the entire world is a bunch of Greenpeace hippies and they're just driving electric scooters everywhere and doing bunny hops off of the curb and landing them and they're recycling and they're drinking out of paper straws. They're doing all the right things. Everyone in the world, even in China and India, who, newsflash, do a lot of polluting. Imagine if all the major corporations around the world weren't putting toxic sludge into the water and billowing smoke clouds into the air. Imagine this for a second. If all of this weren't happening, if man-made pollution was nearly non-existent and then riddle me this if that were the case and then you still lived in a place that was mostly a desert and you didn't do a good job of removing dead trees and dry brush and you dam up the rivers and so an already dry place never gets wet you're telling me that that doesn't already set the conditions for 
some pretty out of control bicycle shop and McDonald's fires. You're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself. Is the climate changing? Always has been, always will be. Anthropogenic climate change, I don't think is necessarily the culprit of this one. Okay. Boy, people who are big rah rah climate changers, they never seem to know any specifics on climate change. They just know it's a big thing. And I'm not saying climate change isn't real. I'm just, let me put you in another, for instance, if somebody, they come up to you and they're like, climate change did this. And then you say, is, do you think that's the only contributing factor? And if they say yes, and you say, okay, well, you're not a very serious person, so I'm just going to have to walk away. But if they say, oh, there could have been other factors. And you say, well, give me a percentage breakdown. What percent of each factor do you think played really their respective roles in these fires? What's going on there? That person's head's going to explode. And my head would explode too if I had to explain that. Because honestly, I think there are so many variables that most climate models are they are very, very difficult to uh, predict. And call me a shameful ignoramus. And some people might even call me a climate denier. That would really hurt my feelings to be called such a terrible thing. And it's like, no, your science is, it's not settled science. And if you, uh, you know, real scientists don't yell their findings at you and tell you you're a bad person if you don't understand what they're saying, or if you ask follow-up questions, real scientists, in my experience, I know a couple sciency people, they'll say things like, well, we don't know all the things. There are things about it that we don't understand. We've got a pretty decent working model, but these are the shortcomings of the model. We're not entirely sure. But anywho, dry brush, desert. Now let's get to the economics of it. And, and normally I'm giving business ideas to the private sector, but this one can be capitalized upon by government. Okay. I'm a big fan of the Golden State. I'm not just talking about the Warriors, who occasionally I, I'll watch a Warriors game. Like, oh, nice three pointer. But I'm talking about the entire state. I am talking about the state of California. So, what's going on economically? Listen up, state of California elected officials, because you should probably put out the fires before you do other stuff. It's kind of like a high priority item, I'd say. I'd say. Our governor, he has other ideas for what's high priority. He just uh, signed a bill a couple days ago that was concerning. It was quite concerning. Kyle, you thought it was tasteless. That's the word you use. Yeah. If you haven't looked up what Newsom signed into, into law, Kyle, is that going to be on the ballot? Do we get to vote on that or is that just a thing now? And then you remember a couple of years ago when they decriminalized giving people HIV knowingly. Weird. California's a weird place. At least our leaders are weird people. But high priority item, I think, is things being on fire. And 
let's talk about some more causes of these fires, right? Because we've got a desert, we've got dry brush. That sets the stage. I got a buddy who's a firefighter. And I go up to him the other day because I see him out in the world. And I'm like, Glenn, Glenn, get over here. I haven't seen you in a while. And he goes, what's up, brah? Because he's chill. I'm like, what's going on with all these fires, Glenn? You son of a bitch. And Glenn's a big firefighter. And I mean that in terms of his capabilities. He's actually a pretty small guy, but he's big in capability. And he says, you know what causes the fires? And I'm saying, no, I don't. That's why I'm asking. And he said, well, it's mainly downed power lines, drug addicts who are either passed out or high off their gourd, bouncing around the forest, smoking cigarettes, and then falling in a ditch. And then all that dry brush that never gets managed goes up in a cloud of smoke. Then you get fire tornadoes. Those are dangerous looking and probably dangerous, period. I don't know. I'll have to check back with Glenn on that one. Be like, hey, are fire tornadoes? Those do damage? You probably say, wake up, man. You don't got to ask a question like that. I'm going to say, damn straight, Glenn. Enjoy your sandwich. So we've got sloppy power lines. We've got a bunch of dry compost. We've got people who are out of work, crazy depressed, doing drugs and dancing around in the forest while smoking meth and cigarettes and just errantly flipping those cigarettes into, I don't know, trash cans. And then they're like, oh, trash can fire. And then they're like dancing around the campfire. And then they just pass out and they forget to like put out their trash can fire. Boom. You've got a wildfire. You've got a forest fire. That's the big whodunit of it all. That a lot of these fires are man-made. That's what Glenn said. He said, Glenn, is climate change the big culprit here? And he's like, maybe, but like, there's a lot of stuff that we can control that we're just not doing. I'm like, Glenn, that's what I thought. We're aligned, Glenn. Again, enjoy your sandwich. It looks good. What's that, tuna? And then I walked off. So let's talk about the economics of it. I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. So what do we have in California right now besides the whole state on fire and the air quality turning into that of a Beijing Tuesday? I feel like that's how I want the news and the weather to rate the air quality. Like, well, happy Thursday, everyone. We've got a bit of a Beijing Tuesday going on. But yeah, it's a pretty serious deal. But what do we have? We've got a lot of unemployed people. We have our already bankrupt state paying those unemployed people to stay home. And then we've got a bunch of failing systems that require a lot of labor. Are you seeing where these things could be? Maybe. Are you seeing how the could happen? Just a quick little people without work, already spending money on them doing nothing have a bunch of problems. Government officials, do you see that intersection point? And people in the private sector, if you're feeling what's going on here, maybe you just fund it. Elon, wouldn't mind if you uh, helped out. 
This could be big for you. This could be big. I think a lot of people on the left hate Elon, but this would certainly redeem him in their eyes, I think. So whoever takes up this proverbial torch, and maybe that's a tasteless comparison when the whole state is on fire to say whoever picks up this torch, but I'm going to continue using it. What is this going to look like? How are we going to get this done? I think we have an army of arborists, foresters, and general infrastructure patchworkers. And that's a pretty technical term, the infrastructure patchworker. A lot of you are thinking like, well, infrastructure is made up of a lot of small systems. Maybe we make teams for specific things. And I say, yeah, good point. We get some people to patch the roads. We get some people to work on the power line so they don't just, you know, snap. And then people are not only having power outages, but their bicycle repair shop is on fire. I'd say that's the, in terms of the wildfires, that's the most pressing infrastructure thing to get fixed. So arborists, foresters, and power linemen. Okay. Are you seeing that? People are saying right now, like, Oh, but coronavirus. And it's like, listen, they're outside. These people are all socially distanced. But let me tell you about the arborists and the foresters, because those are definitely really key people that I'd like to see flourish, thrive in a big way. Because right now there's some guy at home. His name is Andy, and he could be arborist Andy. He just doesn't know it yet. Forrester Frank is just staring at the wall for four hours today. That's it. But if your name is Andy or your name is Frank, hear me out. Because in a perfect world, I'd be your boss. I would run point on this whole service. What would I call it? The California Association of Arborists, parentheses, and foresters. Or I would call it the California Bureau of Fire Safety, CBFS. I'm going to run point on that. So imagine day one, you show up. Well, there's actually going to be three people who show up first to orientation. And they'd be excited to be there. First one there is Arborist Andy. And say, hey, man, what's your name? And he says, I'm Arborist Andy. And then I'll be like, way to be, Andy. Love that you're integrating your job title and your name in alliteration. And I love that you're here early. And he says, well, the early bird gets the worm. And I say, right, you are, Andy. Right, you are. And then this complete smoke show walks in. And her name is Jane. And I say, hey, you're not here first. Haven't you heard that the early bird gets the worm? And then she retorts back. She says, well, the second mouse gets the cheese. And I just think for a moment, I pause. And then I just kind of give her this coy smile and think to myself, you bitch. And then we all laugh. And it turns out that I didn't think that in my head. I said it out loud. And everybody still laughed. And then in walks Forrester Frank. Dude is 55 years old. 
and he has forearms that would put Popeye to shame. Popeye would cover his forearms out of embarrassment seeing Frank. This dude's seen it all, and he has incredible grip strength. Pretty cool. That's going to be the first wave of trainees. Other people will show up, but they don't get the royal treatment because they weren't there early. So I look at all these people. I say, Andy, Jane, Frank, you come with me. And they say, who are you? And I say, I'm the guy who's going to change your life. And they say, that's not a good enough of an explanation. I say, well, that's all you're getting. Follow me. And they do. You go outside and I then do the big reveal. And I say, feast your eyes on your new vehicles. And then I pull these sheets off of pretty amazing contraptions. That's right. They all receive personal gyrocopters, rickety one-man helicopters. That's what they get. And naturally, they're all pretty fired up. Jane's pretty sensible. And she's like, is this safe? And I'm like, Jane, why don't you just cool it? And then I hand them the rest of their goods. Say, here's your badge. Here's your sniper rifle. Your burlap sack full of seeds. Your leaf blower and your weed whacker, which are all laid out on the ground. And say, well, what do I do with these? And say, I can't believe you had to ask, but this is orientation. This is training. I suppose the entire point of it is for you to know what's going on. And say, let's start with the gyrocopter. If you are up in your gyrocopter and you see a village drunk wandering around the forest and you think he might start a forest fire, Fly over to him and set him straight. Steal his lighter and his cigarettes and say, go home. Get it together. That's one thing that you'll be doing. Arborist Andy's eyes just light up. He, for whatever reason, thinks that that's just like the best thing that could ever happen to anyone. Is to gyrocopter, shut down a shit-faced person and be like, give me your cigarettes. It's over. It's over. He's looking forward to that. Then Forrester Frank is like, well, what's the other stuff for? And I say, good question, Frank. Way to keep me on point, on task. Say, you're going to dual wield the leaf blower and the weed whacker. If you see any dry brush that's overgrown or dead, I'm going to need you to obliterate it with the weed whacker. Then immediately scatter it expertly with the leaf blower. That's so a little bit of... And then it's a little bit of, and I say that to him and he says, so, and then he mimics my sounds and I say, dude, you're on it. You are on it. And so that's the first class of trainees. They're kind of the test group. Naturally, they do a great job. They start dominating inebriated people from the gyrocopters. They descend seemingly from out of nowhere on tanked people. And they're like, stop. Do you have anything that could start a fire? I'm going to need that. And they confiscate things. And they say, go home. That's huge. Let me address the questions that are already brewing in your mind. You say, what do these people do in their downtime? What's the rest of their life going to look like? I'm going to tell you it's a good question. Arborist Andy is going to have a lot of time solo. So is Frank. So what are they going to do? They're going to be listening 
to podcasts. They're going to be educating themselves. And maybe from time to time, they'll be listening to the Darby cast, having a laugh. Deep insight, major issues. And that's not even their downtime. A lot of you are asking right now, how much time can this really take? Gyrocoptering and all that. And I say, well, they've got bags of seed as well that they're going to be planting trees. And then here's the real benefit, okay? Because these people, they're not like your out of control, unhinged psychos. They're educators and they're conscientious. They're extroverted, very high quality people. And so what are they going to do? A, their job. B, when they're off the job, they're going to be community thought leaders. Because there's one thing starting fires, there's an X factor that I haven't even discussed yet. And the team, the CBFS, they're going to have a big role to play in that as well. So what's the X factor of fires? That's right, arson. It's arson. You can do all the preparation that you want. You can do all the climate reform that you think is possible. And you say, pay more taxes. I don't know if that really solves anything. That seems to be the the thing. It's like, hey, listen, everybody's going to die in 10 years if we don't solve the global temperature, so pay more in taxes. I don't think that accounts for arson. I don't know if any of that money, I'm sure all that money would probably be squandered and spent elsewhere and wouldn't actually do anything. Turns out a lot of our tax dollars go to weird shit and not what it's actually for. That's right. The state is bankrupt, can't manage money. So I don't know why you would pay money to a state to solve climate change and fix the globe, even though we're not the biggest polluters, nor is it individuals, it's corporations. But I digress. Arsonists. The only way that we really stop arsonists is we get to them early. So let me tell you what that looks like. After a long, successful day, of planting trees, whacking weeds and blowing them into the wind and spotting groups of meth heads and being like, guys, why don't you just go do meth somewhere else? Maybe not in the forest. After doing that, Arborist Andy, he drives home in the company car, which we issue as well, Ford Bronco. And he sees a kid on the street from the neighborhood, an eight-year-old, who's lighting paper towels on fire, throwing said paper towels in the storm drain, you know, kind of to get his arsonist practice on. And what's Arborist Andy going to do? He's going to get out of the Bronco and he's going to say, Dakota, can I have a word with you, pal? And the kid is reluctantly going to be like, yeah, I guess. And then Arborist Andy or Forrester Frank. Forrester Frank's a little rough around the edges. This is going to be more of an Arborist Andy kind of deal. He's going to say, Dakota, I'd like to tell you about the germination process. And Dakota's eyes just light up a little bit and says, what's that? And then Arborist Andy says, oh, you like germination? Well, don't get me started on the importance of controlled burns and the richness of topsoil and its overall ecological significance. Dakota is like, wait a second, there's more to life than burning things? And then... Arborist Andy finishes in a big way and he says, and if you're lucky, I'll tell you about the symbiotic relationships that various plants and animals, flora and fauna have in various micro ecosystems 
Does that sound like the worst time? Dakota? Dakota is just like, sign me up. And then out of his pocket, Arborist Andy pulls a junior CBFS badge, pins it on the kid, says, you'll never be an arsonist. Stay in school. That's the only way to do it. You got to impress the importance of not being an arsonist on the youth today. Because right now, there's some arson going on, not just in forests, but other places. And I think kids are seeing this and they're feeling inspired. And truly, that's a big issue. We need to instill in the youth the sense that lighting fires is not an acceptable thing to do, right? What's X factor number two? Because we talked about X factor number one, arson. X factor number two, idiots. People doing gender reveal parties, trying to do a pyrotechnics display to let somebody know that they're having a girl. And it's like, okay, I don't know how that was that important that you needed to engage in pyrotechnics. I wish an arborist had talked to you in your youth and handed you a pamphlet of Smokey the Bear and kind of set you on the right track. Because somebody who knows about Smokey the Bear is somebody who crossed paths with an arborist at one point. A forester. Arborists and foresters, they aren't the same thing. Foresters, they're kind of in charge of the overall forest. Arborist, more concerned with the individual tree. But there's some overlap in their job duties, like I've laid out. Gyrocopter, telling people, hey, stop getting so wasted in the woods. It's a fire hazard. But yeah, that's early childhood intervention that they're going to be doing. And that's going to be both structured and unstructured, right? Because like that offhanded incident with Dakota, that can happen at really any moment. But also, I'm going to take Arborist Andy and I'm going to say, Arborist Andy, you're going to have to go to some schools. You're going to talk about the joys of flying in a rickety gyrocopter and what it means to you. You into that? And of course, he's going to say, hell yeah. And I say, Jane, you're going to be in charge of managing these two stooges. And then Andy and Frank are going to be like, hey. And I'm be like, I'm kidding, guys. And then we all laugh. That's it. We've got a lot of unity, camaraderie. And if this hasn't sold people on this idea, I'm about to just sweeten the deal. Because let me talk about the signing bonus that people will get for joining the CBFS, California Bureau of Fire Safety. I'm going to give you a plot of land, two cows, one horse, four sheep, 10 chickens. That is your signing bonus. Then you can live out the fantasy of your life, Little House on the Prairie. And if any of you listening to this right now are going to try to tell me that at least one point or another during this whole shutdown, lockdown, change of pace, who done it, that you didn't fantasize about getting the hell out of wherever you're at so you could live the rural lifestyle, build your own log cabin, and make elk jerky, I'm going to stop you and just say, that's a lie. You have thought about that. I know this because I've brought this up to people. And I'm like, doesn't it sound kind of nice just dropping out of the rat race, making some elk jerky, bison burgers? 
Live in a log cabin? Go fell some trees with an axe. Prepare for winter. Have 23 children. Doesn't that sound kind of good? Ladies aren't into the 23 children thing so much. They're like, that's a tall order. And it's like, maybe. That also sounds pretty cool. That's all possible through the CBFS. So that's your fast track to doing it. Also, our HR department is not going to ride your case for anything. Our HR department just wants to make sure that your plot of land and your budding farm is doing well. That's what our HR does. Not going to ride your case. So does this sound good? Does this sound like a model for economic prosperity, both for the employees of the CBFS as well as the entire state of California? Then other states can borrow this model. I'm fine with that. This is not like a California only thing. Or if the private sector, you know, picks this up, maybe you roll this out to all of the Western uh, continental U.S. Why the heck not? They're on fire as well. I think California would be a better place to do business if it weren't on fire. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Who knows? But there's a chance I'm right. There's a chance I'm right. Now that's an economics Wednesday saying, hey, it's important that the place that you're doing business isn't on fire. And that if this keeps happening year over year and the elected leadership of the Golden State, California, isn't doing a whole lot about it, that that's kind of an issue, right? That's a bit of an issue. You can blame climate change all you want, but here's what I'll say. Control what you can control. Go after the things that you can. Frank gets it. Jane gets it. Arborist Andy gets it. That's what we've got in store. So I just created a shit ton of jobs. And then we throw together the people who aren't good at flying gyrocopters. We say, okay, you're on the patching up the roads and working on the power lines team. And I'm still going to give you a plot of land. Two cows, one horse, 10 chickens. That's how you take care of your people. A lot of companies right now kind of doing their employees dirty and being like, you should be thanking us for you even having a job. And it's like, why don't you just compensate me well? And imagine what those employees would say if all of a sudden that their boss showed up and like, hey, got you a couple chickens. Who loves you? And then you just, your eyes light up and you're like, you do, boss. There's so many key nuggets in this episode. It's almost unfair. I'm just giving away so many amazing ideas for free. Call me the modern day Jonas Salk. Who is Jonas Salk? If you don't know, inventor of the polio vaccine. He gave it away for free. He didn't patent it. Why do you're thinking, why don't you just go out and make your gyrocopter arborist, forester, whodunit. I say, because I want to spread this idea and more ideas like a pro. And so even if you don't join the CBFS, what's your responsibility after hearing this podcast? Because you have a responsibility from now until the day you die. It's seeing kids who are burning things and being like, we don't need you to do that. Now, you as a DarbyCast doctor, add this to your resume in the skills section. I am an early 
childhood arson interventionist. You can add that to your resume because you understand the importance of it now. That we don't need any more of those. We're dealing with that enough right now. And if we get more arsonists in the future, that's not going to bode well for anybody. So add that to the resume. Why don't you lead with that in your next job interview? Of all your skills, put that in bold font. Make sure the person interviewing you asks you about it. Because obviously, after listening to this podcast, you're going to have a lot to say. And the interviewer is going to be impressed with your nuanced understanding of all things forestry. And you get to be like, hey, leaf blowers and weed whackers, gyrocopters is just the start. You're going to get hired on the spot. You start dropping key pieces of information like that. If I walked into a job interview, sit down first thing. And say, ma'am, I'd like to lay a couple of things out there before we begin. Gyrocopters, leaf blowers, weed whackers. And then she's just going to say, well, there's nothing left to say. You're in. Let's get you a big salary. That's it. That's how I see things going. But yeah, that's DarbyCast. That's Economics Wednesday, back Friday.